Welcome to the NLCC Sermon Recap Podcast. With me today is Ben Webb. Hey guys. And I am Preston. And here in a moment, we're going to listen in on our message from our live stream this past week. Uh, Now, at the beginning of the pandemic, uh, way earlier, we actually ended up recording an extra sermon that we might use just in case uh, we got caught off guard and we needed something to fill in a live stream or something real quick. Well, this is the week that we're actually using that. (laughs) So we recorded this message earlier uh, this year in case we needed it, and we had to make some quick pivots this week. So if it looks a little bit different, if Ben looks a little bit younger and more beautiful, if you're watching this, um, the video version, or if he sounds younger and more youthful in the audio version, that's why. I was Um, about nine months younger than I am now. Yeah. <laughs> and you've aged, you've aged quite a bit have, in the last It's nine been a rough months. nine months. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but uh, we still are going to listen in on this message, and I wanted to have Ben on here to give a little bit of extra context into what this message is really about. So, Ben, um, why is this message that we're about to hear, why is it important to you? I think that it, it's, a, it's a really neat survey of Jesus' last few hours and, and some of the things and interactions that he had with different people and not necessarily even like his closest inner circle, but with all these other tangent people who happen to be near him in those moments. Um, And each of them has a burden. Each of them has something that they're carrying and dealing with. Um, And I think it's just really um, valuable. I think, I think it's really interesting and neat to look into and see how um, there's a direct correlation between our proximity to the cross and our burdens being relieved, I guess, mm-hmm. is, is one way of saying it. And so uh, just kind of seeing those stories, I think that there, it's a very, for me, it's a very encouraging message of when life is hard, when there's burdens that come up, it's it's worth pressing in and trying to get closer to Jesus. Yeah, I think encouraging is a really good word. Yeah. What's one thing that you got out of this message that you really hope other people get out of it as well? Yeah, so when you look into those interactions that Jesus has, um all of them break expectations of like what you would expect, especially if you put it in context of Jesus, who his life is on the line. He's the one who's suffering. He's the one who's about to lose out on what we would say is everything, right? And yet even in these contexts, he is still very mindful and patient and still caring and compassionate of the people around them, and he meets their needs. I, I find within myself that there's sometimes when I'm going through hard things or I'm dealing with my own burdens of whatever that may be, um, I kind of have this mentality, this attitude of I don't want to, put this on anybody else, or I don't want to drop this on anyone else or, or whatever else. And sometimes I can even act that way to God. And the idea that, you know, as much as this is bothering me, it's really not that big of a deal. And it's not a big deal to him. I don't even need to say anything to God. Or I don't need to talk to him or pray or anything else. And yet you look at these people and they, they get close to Jesus. Um, and then with that, they they find relief. Um, some of them made choices themselves to be close to Jesus, and some didn't. Some, some like, you know, we talk about Malchus. We talk about the thieves on the cross. Uh, they didn't choose to be next mm-hmm. to Jesus, but even in the midst of their burdens and their pains, they are near Jesus. And then, be, again, just because of that proximity, good things happen for them. And so I think that's just really encouraging. Great. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that with us. And uh, let's go ahead and listen in on that message. Are you the kind of person who runs towards conflict or runs away from conflict? Are you the kind of person who likes tension or who who even finds awkwardness enjoyable? Are you the kind of person who avoids it at all costs? 
I think the majority of us, most of us would, would avoid conflict. We avoid confrontation. We avoid that tension or that awkwardness as much as we possibly can. There's a, there's a fear of those things. There's a, there, there's a hatred of those things. And, and we try to, to keep them at, at, at arm's length as much as we possibly can. And yet there's a separate truth to that. There, there's an opposite end of that, that that suggests when we're willing to engage conflict, when we're willing to engage confrontation or tension and sometimes even awkwardness, when we're willing to step into those moments, growth actually happens. That development, that personal development or relational development can take place because we're willing to walk through those moments. And so I think of like a a rubber band. If I had a rubber band on this table, it wouldn't have much purpose. It wouldn't have much value. It doesn't have any strength. It doesn't really do anything significant or good. It just kind of sits there. But when it is stretched, when it is pulled apart, it creates a tension that suddenly has value and that a rubber band only has value. And you know this, you've used a rubber band before. You know that you put tension into it, that you stretch it to its extents, that it can be stretched. And then suddenly it has great value and great purpose to it. I think of when I was a child between 8 and 12 years old, there were days, there were nights uh, when I would wake up in the middle of the night, 2.30 or, or 3.30 in the morning and wake up in so much pain that I wouldn't be able to go back to sleep, that my legs would be aching and hurting with growing pains. When I was a small child, all I ever wanted was to be tall. And you can look and tell that I've experienced my fair share of growing pains. But in those moments, I hated it. I hated the pain. I hated the conflict that was happening within my body. As my bones were growing and moving, there was conflict between them and the flesh and the muscles in my body that were being stretched out of their comfort zones, but growth took place. And if you're anything like me, you can look back in your life and you can see those moments of conflict and those moments of confrontation, those moments when when what you expected or what you hoped for didn't even really come to pass. And you can look back and you can see that they actually helped you grow. That your relationships with people are healthier now because you walked through those difficult moments. That that you were willing to engage in those hard conversations. That, That you walked through those confrontations, those conflicts, those tensions, those awkward moments. And because of that, deeper bonds were built in relationships or deeper character was built within you that you grew because of these pains, these conflicts, these tensions. The beautiful thing about conflict and tension, contradiction, all these words I keep using, the beautiful thing about them is that hindsight gives us perspective. When we look back, we can see incredible growth that takes place in the midst of these difficult, conflicting moments. Today we're going to look into Luke chapter 22 and chapter 23 where we're going to see some moments that don't match our expectations. It's not so much conflict, although there is some conflict in the stories, and it's, it's not so much confrontation as much as it is. It is these tensions of what is expected and then what is actually happening. And it changes our perspective. It changes how we view Jesus. It changes how we view God and their work on this earth. And because of those things, it helps us gain a better perspective of who He is. And it helps us develop in a significant way. So I want to invite you to take out your Bibles. I want you to look with me in Luke, starting in chapter 22. And we're going to start in verse 49. Now this is the hours leading up to Jesus' death. As he's approaching the cross, as he's moving in that 
direction. Uh, he has these interactions. We're going to look at four different interactions he has with people where his expectations aren't really met. We see that tension play out. And, and starting in, in chapter 22, verse 49, is the moment when Jesus is being arrested. And verse 49 says, When Jesus' followers saw what was going to happen, they said, Lord, should we strike with our swords? And they asked the question, but they don't hesitate to get an answer. One of them struck the servant of the high priest, cutting his right ear right off. And in verse 41, Jesus answered, No more of this. And he touched the man's ear and he healed him. Now, oftentimes when we look in, into these stories and, and we look into this moment, if we try to sympathize for the disciples and we put ourselves in their place, we see this as a moment for war. We see this as an opportunity to, to, to go to battle, that Jesus' disciples see this as the breaking moment where everything's going to come to a head. And this is where Jesus begins bringing in his kingdom and he's going to rule politically. And that's their viewpoint. That's their perspective. They think that God has now come to earth to start war. That's not what Jesus does. Jesus doesn't draw a line in the sand for people to pick sides. Instead, he takes action to bring about unity. Jesus isn't about war. He's about restoration. He's about making things whole again. And it reminds me of the story where Jesus has the woman brought to him who was caught in adultery. And when she's brought to him, the accusations are against her and there is a crowd who has drawn a line, a figurative line, in the sand where they're making a suggestion that they are good and she is evil and they're asking Jesus to pick a side. They're asking him to decide which side of this he's going to find himself on and Jesus doesn't draw lines. Now, I love the story because Jesus actually does draw. He gets down in the sand and he begins drawing something. He tells the crowd, you know, you who are without sin, go ahead and cast that first stone. But then he gets down and he begins drawing something in the sand. And it's widely believed that in that moment he began writing names of people in the crowd or he wrote sins that they struggled with or, or he began outing people in that moment in a similar way that they had just done to this woman. Jesus doesn't draw lines. Jesus doesn't divide us to have to pick sides. Even in this moment, Jesus is bringing about unity. He's bringing about restoration because he's helping the people in the crowd recognize that they're no different than this woman, that they're all the same. He's, he's trying to bring them together. And sadly, many of them walk away. All of them walk away. And Jesus is left there with this woman, just the two of them. And if they hadn't walked away, they would have heard the same thing to them that he says to this woman. He says, where are your accusers? Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. It's a powerful story. Jesus doesn't come to this earth to draw lines. And oftentimes we think that there's this war going on around us, right? Like we make it into the spiritual war and we, and we act as if God is against man. That, that, that there's the right side and the wrong side of the political argument. And there's the right side and the wrong side of, of how we view uh, certain issues within our world. And that, that there's all these dividing factors, the things that would make man turn on man. Just as the disciples in this moment are ready to turn on these authorities who've come to arrest Jesus. We, we act as if we're expecting a war, but instead Jesus shows that he's not here for that. He's here to bring unity. He's here to bring restoration. He's here to build up. Which means if we're trying to create war in this world, we don't look like Jesus. And hindsight is really valuable. 
In one touch, Jesus seems to contradict everything that the disciples understood about him, and he breaks all these expectations, and hindsight lets us see that we can look back and we can see that Jesus was here to restore rather than to cause war. His death came with the purpose of restoring humanity to where it originally began, not to push humanity further down the line. What seems to be this moment of contradiction, this conflict, this tension of expectations that the disciples find themselves in, it turns out to be a moment of clarity. Later in chapter 23, Jesus is on the verge of carrying his cross up to uh, the point on Calvary where he will be crucified. And on this journey in verse 27, he hears something to the side of him. Verse 27 says, A large number of people followed him, including women who mourned and wailed for him. Jesus turned and said to them, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me. Weep for yourselves and for your children. Oftentimes when we think of Jesus and his crucifixion, as we think through the pain and the torture that he went through in those moments, we often make it into a very somber, sad story. Oftentimes we kind of take this attitude of, of, you know, poor Jesus and all the pain that he went through. And we experience kind of, in a sense, a, a guilt and a shame because we know that it's, it's our sin that led him to this moment. And so there's this, there's this part of us as we read the story that we just feel so awful for Jesus. We hurt for Jesus. We, we even grieve for Jesus and his life and the pain and the torture that he goes through on our behalf. But Jesus doesn't see this moment like that. Even in the moment, Jesus didn't view it the same way that we do or that these women on the side of the road are mourning do. Years ago, uh, when Christina was pregnant with our first child, Callie, uh, we were serving at a church in Missouri and our lead uh, minister, our senior minister was a guy named Tom who had a, a health scare, a significant health scare, ended up getting life flighted uh, to Springfield, Missouri, which was you know, an hour and a half, two hours away from where we lived. And we thought it was the worst. We thought that, that he wasn't going to make it through the night. There, there was just an awful uh, worry of his health. And Christine and I jumped in our vehicle and drove down to Springfield to be with his wife in the hospital, uh, to, to sit with the family, and, and some other people from our church went as well. And within that short amount of time, by the time we got to the hospital, uh, it had kind of been not really resolved and taken care of, but the fear of what they thought might be happening had, had really subsided and they realized that it wasn't nearly as serious as how they had treated it and that he was actually going to be okay, that there were some potential health concerns moving forward, but in the moment he was fine, he was healthy, and he was okay. And so by the time we get to the hospital, we're sitting with his family. Eventually, it reaches the point where all of us uh, come into the hospital room around Tom's bed with his wife and some people from the church. And we're sitting and we're sharing, we're praying together, but we're also laughing. And, and, and all the tension, the roller coaster of the emotion of the day had kind of subsided and, and we were relaxed and is just kind of normal as normal could be. And in that moment, Tom in his hospital bed looked to my wife, Christina, and he asked how she was doing with this pregnancy, her first pregnancy, he asked how she was doing, how the baby was doing. And in that moment, Christina kind of went to a strange place. <laughs> she began to complain about the pain she'd had in, in her womb, that this child had reached the point where now she could really feel it moving significantly. And it was poking her ribs and it was starting to be heavy on her. And it was really kind of moving things around and it was starting to really become uncomfortable. And Christina just kind of went on this thing for a while, complaining about this great physical burden she was experiencing before it realized, before like her mind with clarity saw 
that she was talking to a man in a hospital bed who hours before we thought was dying. And she kind of caught herself and she began laughing and she apologized to Tom because she was kind of making this a bigger deal than it really was. And, and Tom eased her concerns and, and he calmed her down and he brought attention to the fact that he was okay and that just because he'd experienced the things he had that day, it didn't mean that she wasn't having her experiences either. It was a beautiful moment. It was funny. It was tender. It was compassionate. It was a beautiful, beautiful thing. And I think of that story when I look at Jesus in this moment because he's in the midst of the most difficult physical moment of his life and yet he sees women who are hurting for him and he brings to their attention that they ought to be weeping for themselves. And it's this interesting moment because there's this prophecy going on here. Jesus is, is pointing towards the future and he's letting these women know that there's a day coming in Jerusalem that you're going to experience that's going to be way worse than anything Jesus is experiencing in that day. But there's also this sense in which Jesus is encouraging them here, recognizing that they ought not be mourning for what Jesus is walking through because what Jesus is walking through is actually a picture of hope, not despair. That, that this isn't a moment to mourn, this is actually a moment to celebrate. In fact, we do this every week in our church. We celebrate Jesus on the cross, even though we still feel that kind of guilt and shame, even though we recognize that it was a painful, difficult moment for him, there's this tension there because we expect it to be this sad scene, but instead Jesus brings our attention and our focus back into the fact that this is actually a picture of hope, that Jesus is offering us something better and more beautiful. With our luxury of hindsight, we can see that in the midst of the deepest sadness of Christ's death, Christ was offering hope to all people. And what seems to be this tension or this contradiction in the story, this conflict, to our understanding, it turns out to be a moment of clarity. The third story happens in verse 34. It's just a simple one and it's a verse that you've probably heard many, many times. But Jesus says as he's hanging on the cross looking out over this crowd, he says, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. Now this is, a, this is an interesting tension that exists in this story and I can't help but read through this without thinking of God of the Old Testament, right? And, and, and some things that happen in the Old Testament. In fact, if you consider God hanging on a cross in this moment and the pain and the torture that he goes through and, and the fact that there's mocking of him, that there's, that, there's, that there's laughing at him, that there's an emotional attack along with this physical pain and burden that he's holding in this moment. And to know that he has all the power in the world to just get rid of it all with the snap of a finger or with the command of his voice, that it could all change instantly. There's a part of me that thinks that I should expect God's wrath. God has come to earth and he's been hung on a cross only to be mocked, scorned, beaten, tortured, shamed in every significant way. I expect his wrath. I expect Noah in the ark. I expect God to, to step out and say, I've had enough of this and make a large, big acting move to set things right. I expect, I expect God with Sodom and Gomorrah, who, who pronounces a judgment against the city for their actions and their behaviors and what they've done. And I look at this scene outside of Jerusalem with Jesus on the cross and I would think that if anything, this is an incredible moment for God's wrath. This is an incredible opportunity for God to show that he is who he is, that he's in charge and that it's time for everyone to bow to him. It seems like the perfect opportunity. 
And yet God hanging there chooses to pray. He chooses to pray for the people a prayer of forgiveness. It's not what I expect. And there's some tension here. Because when I look around in my world, there's a sense in which I want to I, I, I want to be able to, to just let God's wrath pour out. Have you ever just prayed God come down? It wasn't because you were ready to see Him, but it's because you want everybody else to see Him. I mean, have, have you ever wanted God to act in vengeance? Have you ever prayed those prayers that God would justify you just as David does in Psalms? I mean, there's moments where we want the wrath of God because we believe it's on our side, and yet when Jesus had the opportunity for that to be displayed, He chose forgiveness, and I'm glad He did. It's not what I would have done. It's certainly what I need the most. And with our luxury of hindsight, we can look back and we can see that that in the midst of his toughest pain that Jesus had ever experienced, he chose forgiving those who were causing the pain rather than pouring out his wrath. And what seems to be a contradiction or conflict or, or this tension within this story actually reveals a way for me to grow and a way for me to see things better and a better understanding it provides a moment of clarity the fourth one happens in chapter uh, 23 verses 40 through 43 jesus is surrounded by these two criminals who are on either side of him and and they begin to have this debate one of the criminals decides to join in the mocking of jesus and everything that's going on even though he's facing his own death but in verse 40 we read this the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence? We are punished justly for we are getting what our deeds deserve, but this man has done nothing wrong. And then he says to Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered him, I tell you the truth, today you will be with me in paradise. What do you expect? What do you expect from a man who is hanging on a cross? What do you expect is going to happen? We, we expect that that man is going to die. What do you expect of a man who's been sentenced to death? What do you expect for a man who is to be executed? You expect death. You expect the end of his story. You expect for it to, to reach its culmination and just be done. And yet when we look in this story, there's this tension because what we expect isn't what happens. This, this criminal hanging alongside Jesus, we expect him to, to die. And yet when he looks to Jesus and he proclaims the right thing, Jesus responds not with a, well, that was nice, but we're all going to die. I mean, he looks to this man and he says, I'm going to see you today in paradise. In, in paradise. He, he says that, that this isn't death to be expected. In fact, it's salvation. When you look to the cross, you expect death, but Jesus offers salvation. It's not what we expect. There's some tension here. There's some contradiction. There's some conflict in how we view this story. And yet, and yet Jesus reveals something better than we would want. And it provides for us this opportunity to grow. We have this luxury of being able to look back with hindsight and seeing how it plays out. And we know the story. We know what happens three days later. We know that he walks back out of a tomb. We know from further teaching throughout the rest of the New Testament that it was his death that allows us to live eternally. That something bigger and better was going on here. If you just look at the scene, if you're just there watching, you think that you're witnessing the death of a man. But you're actually watching the salvation of the world. 
most likely you fit into one of these scenarios. When, when you think of God or, or when you talk to Jesus, maybe you're the kind of person who wants war. Or maybe you're the kind of person who mourns, or maybe you're the one who wants the wrath of God, or maybe you're expecting death. But those aren't the things that Jesus delivers. That's not what God wants for you. Because God wants to restore. He wants to bring about unity. God wants to reach into this world and offer hope, not the mourning that we experience. God wants to give forgiveness, not pour out his wrath. And he wants to offer salvation for all of us. And in each of these unique incidents that Luke records, someone is burdened with fear or weakness or evil, and they're liberated from their burden by their proximity to the cross, which leaves us with two simple questions as we finish out here. What is the burden that you're carrying? What is it that that is pulling you back? What is it that is creating this conflict or this tension between you and God? What is it that's keeping you from fulfilling who you ought to be in your life? Not for your sake, not at your own self-empowerment, but in the kingdom of God and what he's called you to be. What is your burden that you are carrying? And number two, what is your proximity to the cross? Each of these people, starting with the disciples in the garden to the criminal on the cross, each of these interactions, these people got close enough to Jesus. They got close enough to the cross that they were allowed to have their burdens revealed and they were allowed to experience healing. What's your proximity to the cross? Have you allowed yourself to get close enough to Jesus to let him change your perspective? Have you allowed yourself to get close enough to Jesus that he can reveal what he's up to and allow that tension, allow that conflict, allow that moment of confrontation with you in your life and know that there will come a day when you can look back at this moment or or the next few moments for you as you think through God's calling in your life, that you could look back and see that you allowed yourself to get close enough to the cross that he could reveal himself to you and that this burden you're carrying can be a thing of the past. Will you get close enough to the cross? Will you reveal your burden? That's our call for today. I want to leave you with those same two questions. What is your burden? What are you carrying? And secondly, what is your proximity to Jesus right now? I want you to be honest with those as you look introspectively with yourself. Try to answer those questions for yourself. If you want to talk to a pastor about what that actually looks like, please, we would love to have that conversation. Head to our website, northliberty.cc, and uh, click with that Connect With Us button. We'd love to have that conversation. Thank you for joining us for the Sermon Recap Podcast. Thank you, Ben, for bringing some extra insight into us. We look forward to doing this again with you next.